Welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. This is a podcast intended to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm host Ben James, and every week I lead you through the lessons in a way that is intended to help you better understand the scriptures, make you think about important questions, and strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. You can also find the video version of these lessons on my YouTube channel, titled 29th Floor Sunday School. If you find these lessons useful, please consider becoming a subscriber. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. Glad you can join me from my office in central Hong Kong as we study the Come Follow Me curriculum for January 6th through 12th. And with this lesson, we will be learning about the first seven chapters of the first book of Nephi in the Book of Mormon. I want to start today's lesson by uh, quickly discussing uh, an issue, uh, questions that came up uh, based on last lesson. And I want to just uh, take a few minutes and simply clarify uh, a position that I explain that may understandably be uh, controversial or uh, potentially misunderstood um, by some viewers. And that is, uh, I put forward the uh, question last week in the lesson introducing the Book of Mormon as to whether or not it would be possible for someone to not believe in the authenticity or the histori- historicity of the Book of Mormon, but yet still consider it to be true in a book of scripture to the extent that it testifies of Christ and helps us draw closer to him. Uh, And I put forward the idea that I think that it is possible to read the Book of Mormon as as literature, um, as as still being scripture that draws us closer to Christ, um, but not necessarily being a true and a historical document uh, documenting people that actually existed. And the clarification I want to make is that's not my position. Um, I do believe that the Book of Mormon is a historical document. Book. I do believe that it accurately, de- accurately depicts <clears throat> the lives of individuals that, and prophets that actually lived in Mesoamerica uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, that it, you know, my, that I, I believe that that is true, and I further believe that Joseph Smith uh, received gold plates from the angel Mor- Moroni and translated them by the power of God. My whole point was that <clears throat> I think it is possible, though, that one does not necessarily have to believe in either or both of these historicities uh, and still gain value out of the Book of Mormon. Um, Because even if you were to read it as simply literature, perhaps a story that the prophet Joseph Smith made up, that would not change the fact that that story draws you closer to Christ. And when I say that the prophet Joseph Smith made up, that, of course, would mean that it was, it was an inspired story and that the Lord, that God, the Holy Ghost, inspired him to write this story, to write this book. So regardless of whether you believe it was translated uh, from golden plates or whether it was something that the, the prophet just made up off the, off the top of his head, the source still would be the same in that it comes through inspiration, comes through the Holy Ghost. Uh, just different questions as to whether or not it actually depicts people that actually lived 
And, and again, my position is that I do believe that it's true. I do believe that it's true in the sense that it is historically accurate and it depicts the lives of people that actually existed. But I think we as a church, um, question is, you know, can we get comfortable with people in the church, uh, good stand, members in good standing, who take a different point of view? And I don't see why we couldn't possibly uh, take get comfortable with that, get comfortable with members that have perhaps a hard time believing certain parts, or maybe they've read something that doesn't quite, for whatever reason, make sense to them or causes them to doubt uh, the historicity of the book. Uh, Those members still, though, I think, even if they have doubts and have serious questions about its historicity, I would hope that they could still uh, recognize that even with those pieces taken away, the Book of Mormon is still valuable as <clears throat> another testimony or testament of Jesus Christ and that it, it teaches of, of Christ and its teachings draw us closer to Christ and the Spirit testifies that those teachings are true. And of course, it is that Spirit uh, that testifies of spiritual truths that is the most important thing. So I just want to clarify that my position is that it's true, but... I would hope that we as a church um, don't have to, in all cases, that that we can, that we as members can see how it would be possible that others might take a different, uh, a different point of view as to the authenticity of the book while still uh, recognizing it as teaching truth. All right, now with that, let's go ahead and get into the actual book itself uh, because there's so much here uh, in this lesson for us to to discuss and before we get into it it's important to discuss some history uh, about the translation process because the first uh, the first Nephi uh, is not the first book that was translated um, Joseph Smith as he was translating started, with the large plates. If you recall, the Book of Mormon is broken into both small plates and large plates. And this is explained um, in the the first few pages of the Book of Mormon. But uh, the first Nephi was written on small plates, on the small plates. Uh, But what what Joseph Smith started translating was the large plates. And that started with the Book of Lehi. And then he continued to translate all the way through up to and including a few chapters in Messiah, in which after and then after he had completed that translation of 116 pages of manuscript, uh, that those pages were then given to Martin Harris, who attempted to show them to his wife, of course, in order to famously attempt to persuade her that this was uh, legit and that he was not being scammed by the prophet Joseph Smith. And of course, those pages were lost, and then we now resort to uh, Plan B. Um, but as even as Plan B was being instigated, uh, Joseph Smith did not go back and start from First Nephi. He continued the translation uh, with what we currently have as the beginning of uh, Messiah, and so he translated Messiah all the way up through the end of Moroni, and then after he completed that, then he went back and started translating from the small plates, and he. Uh, chronologically place that at the beginning of the record. And so what we have here as uh, 1 Nephi and uh, the remaining uh, books all the way up through Messiah was actually translated after the, rec- the, the rest of the Book of Mormon was uh, had already been translated. 
Um, so that's uh, something interesting to keep in mind, that First Nephi was not the first book that was translated, but rather it was uh, starting, starting from the, the large plates, what Prophet Joseph Smith said was the book of Lehi, uh, which assumably um, translated and, and told the same stories just from Lehi's perspective, rather uh, than Nephi's. Um, and so it's interesting that we get Nephi's perspective, and it's something that we have to keep in mind uh, as we go ahead and read and start studying from First Nephi. Um, and one of the things I love about Nephi is that he is so so personal. You can see his uh, personality coming through as he translates, uh, as he records uh, what happened to his lot in his life. Uh, sometimes that comes across as him um, being almost self-righteous, <laughs> if you will. Um, but I love that about Nephi. He's so authentic in the way that he presents uh, his case as to uh, the events that actually uh, transpired in his life, especially his relationship with his brothers. Well, let's start in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And it, actually, verse 1 is packed with information where it reads, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. So a lot of information here uh, that we can start discussing. <laughs> the first is the idea that he was born of goodly parents. Now often in the church we interpret that to mean, you know, good parents that taught him the gospel, that took care of him. Uh, you know, think of the armies of Helaman. We have been born as Nephi of old to goodly parents who love the Lord. Well, goodly here actually probably means that they were wealthy, uh, that they were that they were well off. And we can take that from the context uh, of the book itself. You know, the fact that they had a large amounts of gold and silver and that they were going to try to barter with uh, Laban in order to get the brass plates um, shows that uh, Lehi was likely a very wealthy man. Um, next, we have come across the fact that uh, Nephi uh, was taught somewhat in the learning of my father. Um, and he's also, uh, we, we learn in the, in the following verses that he, he makes his record in, uh, in, in the, the language of the, after the manner of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. So Nephi is very familiar with languages here. Um, and that's actually interesting in that uh, remember, Nephi is the fourth son in the family here. So even though he was taught in the manner of his father, after the learning of his father, he was not the one that was going to inherit the father's business. That was reserved for uh, the oldest son, being Laman. Laman, uh, whatever Lehi was doing that caused him to be so successful, Laman was going to inherit that business. And so Nephi, like the rest of his brothers, had to uh, had to go to school in order to seek a their own profession. Um, and so because of that, Nephi is very educated. Um, and, and this is clear from the fact, it's a simple fact, something we often look uh, overlook is the fact that he can read and write. And he does both very, very well, uh, which was quite unusual uh, for his time, which shows that Lehi was <clears throat> uh, very wealthy. He had the means to send his son uh, to school and also shows that uh, Nephi uh, was very uh, versed in the literature of their time, and that's likely one of the reasons he's so uh, familiar with uh, the biblical stories, uh, the writings of Isaiah, 
Um, and, and it's because he was, uh, it's likely because he, he, he was so highly educated, <laughs> especially compared to others uh, at his time. We can see Nephi is very confident in his, um, we'll see later, he's very confident in his language abilities too, his abilities to persuade others to take the position uh, that he wants them to take. <coughs> he is uh, definitely not lacking in confidence when it comes to his ability to persuade. Okay, and so, uh, and so with that as an introduction to Nephi, um, a little bit of history in terms of the, uh, the background here. We learn in verse 4 uh, that the record commences in the first year of the reign of Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah was put in place by the Babylonians who had conquered Jerusalem in, uh, just before uh, 600 B.C. and 605 B.C. <clears throat> they had conquered Jerusalem. Um, and after conquering Jerusalem, uh, Jehoiakim was... What uh, was was king of Jerusalem, and he attempted rebellion against the Babylonians, and he had either been killed or arrested. And so, as a result, uh, his um, his uncle, who is uh, Zedekiah, was put in place by the Babylonians to be the king of Jerusalem after uh, Jehoiakim's either arrest or uh, demise. Um, and so. Zedekiah, even though he is a Jew, <clears throat> he, is, he has been put in place by the Babylonians. Um, and so at this time, uh, Jerusalem is in a difficult spot, similar to the way it was when the Savior, <clears throat> during his ministry, when <clears throat> uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah was, uh, had been overrun by the, the Romans and was under Roman control, um, during Lehi's time, uh, Jerusalem is under control by the Babylonians, who, of course, <clears throat> are a, a, a godless people uh, deemed to be uh, barbarians uh, by the Jews who were highly favored of the Lord, uh, and so they believed. And so it's under these conditions that, in verse 5, Lehi goes out and prays in behalf of his people. He goes out and he prays on behalf of his people to the Lord. He uh, sees a vision that causes him to quake and to tremble uh, exceedingly in verse 6. And so he goes back home and he's lying on his bed. He's exhausted from seeing this vision that caused him to quake and tremble. He's very concerned for his people. And as while he's passed out on his bed, he receives a, another vision. And in this vision, he sees uh, the Son of God descend from heaven, accompanied by 12 others, and the Son of God then presents uh, Lehi with a book, <clears throat> which he is commanded to read. He reads this book, um, and in verse 14, uh, it, uh, it helps him. It, he realizes how merciful the Lord is, that he will not suffer those who come unto him to perish. And then in verse 15, he states, uh, or Nephi states, uh, in recounting the uh, vision of his father, at least what his father has told him about his vision, he states, and after this manner was the language of my father and the praising of his God, for his soul did rejoice and his whole heart was filled because of the things which he had seen, yea, which the Lord has shown unto him. So whatever Lehi saw in this dream caused him uh, to rejoice. <clears throat> his whole heart was filled uh, because of the things which he had seen and which the Lord had shown unto him. Now, Lehi then goes and tries to share his vision uh, with his 
fellow citizens in Jerusalem. And uh, whereas Lehi, when he received this vision of a savior uh, delivering his people, resulted in great rejoicing. Um, For the people of Jerusalem, their response was uh, quite different. Um, And in verse 20, uh, in 19 and 20, we learn that uh, the Jews started by mocking him. uh, But as he continued, their anger increased and they desired to eventually kill him. Uh, In verse 20, uh, Nephi ends chapter 1 by stating, And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him, yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out, and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen, because of their faith, to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. So the people of Jerusalem are not happy with this message that Lehi is sharing with them. Um, And it seems like the reason that uh, they're not happy is because they are not anticipating, they do not want a message that says, if you guys repent, then the Lord uh, Jesus Christ will save you. They're wanting a message that says... The Lord's going to come and kick the Babylonians out. That's the message that they want. They don't want to be told that they need to repent because they're doing something bad. After all, they're the Lord's chosen people. Uh, They are his covenant people. The Lord should be coming and delivering them without these conditions of repentance. Because these godless Babylonians have overtaken them, they, they need deliverance. That's what they're anticipating. But of course, that's not the message that Lehi is providing them. Lehi is telling them that the Lord will save them, but they have to repent. They have to change first. Uh, And that is the message that the Jews reject. And of course, that is the message for all of us as well, is that the Lord will be merciful to us. um, But we do have to repent. We have to accept him and we have to change and and receive his grace made available through his atonement. And so it is because of that, uh, that's not the message that the Jews want to hear, and so they are unhappy, and they threaten to kill him. So Lehi goes home, and he says, okay, family, we got to get out of here. And they do. They take their journey three days in the wilderness. We're in chapter 2 now. And after they've been traveling for three days, it's interesting to note, and we'll see this happens many times here, the first thing Lehi does is he builds an altar of stone and gives praise to God, gives thanks to God for delivering him. And this notion of deliverance is one of the main themes in the Book of Mormon that we will see. This idea that people are constantly being confronted with different challenges, uh, different tribulations, and as they repent and call upon the Lord and keep his commandments, they are delivered by the Lord. And it all starts in chapter 1 as Lehi is delivered by the Lord. Now, another interesting thing to note about chapter 1, and it's, and it's perfect as, as the first chapter in the Book of Mormon, is the parallels between what happens to Lehi in chapter 1 and the prophet Joseph Smith. We see that in both cases, we have a man who receives a vision. Shortly after his vision, he then receives a book. And as he shares the message from his vision and the message that's within the book with the world, they reject that message. That message ultimately is deliverance through Jesus Christ. And then they threaten 
or in the case of the prophet Joseph Smith, they actually proceed to take the life of that prophet. So beautiful parallels between the prophet Joseph Smith and Lehi in chapter 1. And it's almost as if the Lord is using this first chapter within the Book of Mormon, which again wasn't originally the first chapter, uh, but was done later after the rest of the book was, was translated. But it's as if he's using this first chapter in the Book of Mormon to teach us about the prophet Joseph Smith, to prepare us to accept him, um, while also warning us that many within the world will not accept him. And, and just like the Jews in Jerusalem towards Lehi, they will reject the prophet Joseph Smith. They will reject the book that the Lord has given him, of course, being the Book of Mormon. And they will eventually <clears throat> seek to and be successful in taking his life. <clears throat> so we now go into the wilderness with Lehi's family. Again, they've built this altar of stone <clears throat> in order to give thanks to God for delivering them. And of course, understandably, Laman and Lemuel are not too happy. Uh, remember, Laman is the one who stands to inherit all of these things. So the idea that his family has just given up all of their wealth, all of their possession, all of the family business, and are now traveling in the wilderness to who knows where, uh, understandably, they're not too excited about that. And, uh, and so uh, as they are murmuring, as they are complaining, as they are wont to do, um, Nephi in chapter 2 starts to tell us the big difference between him <clears throat> and his brothers. In verse 12, we learn how Nephi views his brothers. And thus Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father, and they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. So Laman and Lemuel, uh, educated as they might be, they murmur because they don't understand how God works. They do not understand the way in which he operates in their lives. They want everything uh, their way, and they want it spelled out clearly. They're not comfortable with this idea that eventually they're going to reach some uh, idea of a promised land. Their promised land was already in Jerusalem. Um, they did not understand the way in which the Lord works in their life. They don't understand that sometimes, uh, often, the Lord doesn't tell us the end uh, as we start at the beginning. Uh, we have to move forward with faith. They, they don't understand that the Lord's promises are much better uh, than the things that we originally anticipate and want for ourselves. Uh, they lack faith. They lack an understanding of the dealings of God. Whereas Nephi, on the other hand, uh, verse 16, when he lacks understanding, he takes a very different approach. Verse 16, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know the mysteries of God, Wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, and I did believe all the words which he had spoken by my father. Wherefore I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. <laughs> so interesting here that Nephi's response when he doesn't understand is to get on his knees, is to ask for that understanding. <laughs> and if that understanding doesn't come, he asks the Lord to soften his heart. So that even if he doesn't understand, even if he doesn't know the end while he's at the beginning, that his heart will be softened, that he will not rebel, but that he will be faithful in keeping the Lord's commandments. 
And, not surprisingly, right away, he gets an opportunity to prove his faithfulness. So apparently while he is calling upon the Lord to soften his heart, <clears throat> Lehi is telling his oldest two sons about a mission that they need to go on. They need to return to Jerusalem and retrieve brass plates uh, that contain the writings of the Jews as well as Lehi's genealogy. Now, <clears throat> they obviously are not excited about the prospects of going back to Jerusalem. They think this is insane, and they let their father know that. So Nephi, on the other hand, goes to Lehi, and Lehi says, okay, I need, to, I need you to do this. I know this is difficult. Your brothers have already complained. What say you? And Nephi's response, who's just been in his tent, praying for the Lord to soften his heart, Nephi recognizes that this is a commandment of the Lord. And he responds famously in verse 7. <coughs> and it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commandeth them. <coughs> so I think the most important thing um, about this a statement by Nephi is that he knew that this was a commandment of the Lord. He knew that this is what the Lord wanted them to do. And with that knowledge, he had full confidence that the Lord would make it possible for them to accomplish this task, to complete the thing which the Lord has commanded them to do, which is in this case to go and get <clears throat> the brass plates from Laban, difficult as it may be, he knew that the Lord would make it possible. So with this confidence, he goes back with his brothers and they make their first attempt, which of course is not successful. Their first attempt, they seem to really not even have given much thought to it. It's almost kind of haphazard, well, we're here, let's go ahead and just simply ask. Laban for the plates. And we all know that that doesn't go well. Uh, Laban is the one who, is, uh, who has to carry out uh, this unfortunate task. He is the one who drew the short straw. So he goes and asks, and uh, Laman threatens his life. <clears throat> so first attempt, they really didn't give it much thought. In some ways, it was a very faithful attempt, right? If you know that the Lord wants you to do something, well, bam, just go ahead and do it. Just go to Laban and say, hey, Give us the brass plates. The Lord wants them from us, uh, wants us to have them. Um, in some ways, it was kind of faithful, but without much thought, without even asking the Lord how to do it. Um, not surprising, it is not a success. Second attempt, uh, you can almost see the light bulb go on in Nephi's head. And he says, aha, the Lord wants us to get the plates. The Lord also wanted us to leave all of our possessions behind. It must be the case that the Lord wants us to be able to use these possessions <coughs> in order to acquire the plates from Laban. So they go to their house, gather all their gold, come back and present it before Laban, who sees it and says, wow, this is actually quite a bit. I think I'll take that. But no, you're not getting the plates. And then they all get chased out again. And so twice uh, uh, for their first two attempts, the result is Laban uh, attempts to uh, to remove them, to, to murder them. And so this gives us a little bit of insight as to the type of uh, man that uh, Laban was as well. Um, well, not surprisingly and understandably, uh, 
the Nephi's older brothers are pretty frustrated at this point. He says, you know, you can you can understand where they're coming from. The Lord says, we want you, I want you to get these plates. We've already tried twice. Um, and both times the result has been, I've almost got my head chopped off. Not very good prospects. And understandably, uh, they're, they're not too happy about that. Of course, the angel then comes to strengthen their faith, telling them, stop beating up Nephi, because apparently that was their uh, response when these things didn't go well. They didn't like the fact that throughout their difficulties, Nephi remained faithful. And he no doubt was very vocal about his faithfulness. And uh, that was uh, certainly very uh, annoying, if nothing else, to Laman and Lemuel. And their response, like uh, big brothers are wont to do, was to start beating up Nephi. Um, An angel comes, tells them to stop beating Nephi, and tells them that the Lord will deliver will deliver Laban into their hands. As soon as the angel departs, what's the first thing that Laban and Lemuel start to do? They start to complain again. Um, I think we all know uh, people like that in our lives that really will complain about uh, everything. And, And clearly, even though the Lord had sent an angel to strengthen their faith, their first response afterwards is to still continue to complain. Again, we see Nephi here is laying out this the type of personality, the type of people that Laman and Lemuel are <clears throat> completely lacking in faith. Whenever the Lord asks them to do something, their first response is, oh, it's so hard. There's no way it can be done. How is this even possible? Whereas Nephi is the faithful one, even where it seems that there's no way for it to be done. He knows that it's if it's what the Lord wants to be accomplished, that it can be accomplished. Um, so in chapter four, um, <coughs> Nephi says, okay, guys, uh, the angel just told us it's possible. Let's go ahead and do it. And in order to encourage his brothers, he recounts the most famous story in all of <coughs> uh, Jewish culture, uh, which is the story of the Exodus. Whenever Nephi needs a story, whenever he needs to remind uh, his brothers or to encourage them. We see it uh, happens again later uh, when he's preparing to build a ship and they don't want to participate in that. Nephi's response is to remind them that the Lord was able to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was able to part the Red Sea and guide them through the wilderness. If he's able to do that, surely he can help us do the simple thing that he wants us to do, that he has commanded us to do. And this is uh, consistent with with Jewish culture that uh, at the time, whenever they needed uh, a story to encourage them and to strengthen their faith, this is what they would do. It's actually in uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 14, that Jeremiah states that this is the case. And he says, uh, therefore, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And continuing in verse 15, But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all lands whither he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. So, you know, Jeremiah here is saying 
look, there's going to come a time when you need a story about faith that you're not going to talk about the Exodus, about the Lord bringing the children of Israel up uh, out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. But instead, he's going to talk about the gathering in which the way in the way in which the Lord gathered all of the children of Israel from the north and the south and the east and the west, gathered them together. So certainly this is inspiring for, for us as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are involved in that effort of gathering the children of Israel through our missionary work. Uh, but here, it's interesting to note that Nephi is simply following the pattern that Jeremiah is talking about. That the children of Israel, when they need a story that is faith-promoting and to encourage themselves and to give them the courage that they need, uh, they call upon the story of the exodus and the deliverance out of the land of Egypt. So after uh, encouraging his brothers with the Exodus story, <clears throat> brothers basically say, all right, Nephi, you go and take care of it. And so he does. So he starts moving forward. And I love verse 6. Nephi is walking towards the house of Laban. <clears throat> and this is his attitude. He says, and I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. And this here really demonstrates to us how faithful Nephi was. He's got this impossible mission that he has to accomplish. And he's just going to start going forward, step by step, trusting that the Lord will light his path before him. As uh, I was taking my, remember I have four young daughters, and as I was taking uh, <clears throat> some of them to see Frozen 2 a few weeks ago, I love the insight uh, that we got in that movie about faith. Uh, there's a situation in which uh, Anna doesn't know what to do. And she's got a mission that she's supposed to accomplish, and it seems like it's going to be impossible for her to do so. And so her conclusion is that all she can do is the next right thing. And she even has a song about it. Um, <clears throat> and that's what Nephi's doing here. He's doing the next right thing, going step by step, doing the next thing that he knows to be right, he doesn't know what the end is going to look like. He doesn't know exactly how the Lord is going to deliver Laban into his hands. But he knows that if he stays outside the city walls, it's never going to happen. What he needs to do is start moving forward. And that's what he does. He does the next right thing. Of course, as he moves forward now, he comes across a, the body of a drunken man in the street who happens to be Laban. And... Uh, much to his chagrin, uh, the response that the Spirit gives to Nephi is to kill Laban, is to end his life. Now, remember, we've already got a glimpse as to the murderous uh, fiend that uh, Laban is, so we know he's not a very good guy. Um, he certainly is going to do everything he can to prevent Nephi and his brothers from getting the plates. And so, but, but still, it is with uh, a great surprised that the spirit prompts Nephi uh, to take the life of Laban. Now, I think several lessons we can take from this. Uh, one is obviously that if the spirit tells us to do something, we do it, uh, no matter what uh, that thing might be. But I think another lesson that we need to take from this is if the Spirit's going to tell you to do something that's contrary to what you believe to be right and what you've taught to be right, you better be pretty certain that that's what the Spirit wants you to do. And you can see the struggle that Nephi goes through, and it's interesting, as he tries to come around to this conclusion to accept what the Spirit is telling him, that he needs to 
take the life of Laban. <clears throat> and he resorts back to uh, the promise that he has received that his seed um, will uh, inherit this land of promise. And that as in so much as, and this is in verse 14, in so much as that they keep the commandments of the Lord, they shall prosper in the land. But Nephi also realizes that it's going to be impossible for them to keep the commandments of Lord, of the Lord if they don't have the law of Moses. And therefore they need the brass plates in order to keep the commandments. And without the keeping the commandments, they cannot prosper in the land. They cannot uh, fulfill the reason for which they received this land uh, of promise, this land, this new land of their inheritance. Um, and so Nephi realized that in order for the Lord's purposes to uh, come to fruition, they had to get those plates. And he also was beginning to realize that in order to get those plates, he must take the life of Laban. And so, <clears throat> again, he... Not knowing what to do, he follows the spirit, uh, cuts off Laban's head, uh, puts on his clothes, and begins proceeding uh, towards the treasury where the plates are kept. And there he comes across uh, someone who would uh, later become his one of his best friends, uh, Zoram. He is the keeper of the treasury, <coughs> using Laban's voice, uh, which he somehow knew. Um, he instructs Zoram to bring the plates and to come with him. Um, Zoram uh, assumes that this is Laban for some for some reason. Uh, he's he's convinced that this man wearing Laban's clothes <coughs> is in fact Laban, and so he he follows. Um, and then you get this interesting story where, <coughs> as he's approaching the wall of Jerusalem, uh, Laman and Lemuel and, and Sam realize that uh, this is. Uh, or see Laban coming and assume that Laban is coming for them. <coughs> and so Nephi, in order to tell them that they don't need to be scared, uh, uh, reveals his disguise, and then now he has the Zoram problem. And so Nephi actually tackles Zoram and promises him that if he will come with them, that he will be <coughs> a free man and that he will be part of them. And unbelievably, Zoram says, okay, cool, yeah, I'll come with you guys. Um, it, it's mind-blowing to us that <clears throat> this Zoram, who, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago was gainfully employed as the, uh, as the keeper of the treasury, all of a sudden is willing to give up everything that he has in order to follow uh, this family into the wilderness. Um, so one must wonder uh, what spiritual preparations or, or what else went into that decision of Zoram to, within an instant completely change his life uh, going from <clears throat> a citizen of Jerusalem to uh, being someone who is now going to be wandering in the wilderness with uh, these uh, other men that he didn't even know just a few minutes ago um, and the only way he knows them is because they deceived him into thinking he was his dead boss so really really fascinating story here um, but at the end it enables Nephi who has been dutiful in keeping the Lord's commandments and enables him to receive the plates and then off they go to find their father. Now as uh, they return to the father, uh, not surprisingly, uh, their mother is not too happy. Um, she's been through a lot. She just gave up her home, 
all of her possessions. And now uh, her husband, who uh, <clears throat> has been uh, chased out of town because of uh, the things that he is telling to the citizens, and now her husband has sent their sons back on an impossible mission. And after several days, they haven't come back. And so uh, Soraya is understandably uh, concerned that they have also perished. And she's basically lost everything <clears throat> that she knows and loves. And so, again, it's understandable that, uh, from my point of view, that she is complaining here. Lehi, the loving husband, uh, reminds her of their blessings uh, that the Lord has bestowed upon them and that he has delivered them. He has made it possible for them to escape. Um, and then fortunately, her sons come back um, and she receives this tender mercy, uh, this little this little hug uh, from the Lord, letting her know that everything is okay, that I am in charge here and that things will work out like they're supposed to. And we can see the great impact that this uh, miracle deliverance of her sons has on her faith in chapter 5 verse 8 and she spake saying now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness yea and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them and after this manner of language did she speak and so Sariah <clears throat> is so relieved to have her sons back. Um, and this, this just little gift from the Lord, this little reminder, this little display of his power uh, is, is all that she needs uh, to bring back her faith and to uh, put her back on the right track as they prepare to uh, continue their journey in the wilderness. <clears throat> so as his sons come back, uh, Lehi uh, begins to examine the plates, um, and he finds that it, uh, in addition to uh, to holding the the Pentateuch, the first uh, five books that we have in our current Old Testament, it also contains a genealogy, in which Lehi learns that he is a descendant of Joseph, and we'll see uh, the mention of Joseph is is prevalent throughout uh, throughout the, the Nephi's record. Um, both later in First uh, Nephi, but also in Second Nephi. I mean, they even um, th there's a lot of comparisons between uh, be between this family and between Joseph. And uh, the the reason that they love Joseph so much is not just that he is their ancestor, but uh, Lehi and Nephi see their mission and see what the Lord has in store for them in terms of Joseph. That is, in the same way that the Lord uh, preserved Joseph by removing him from the rest of his family, he made it possible that in a later time of famine, because of his removal from his family, that Joseph was able to deliver his brothers, that he was able to save them from the famine because he had been separated from his family at an earlier point. Now, this is a parallel as to Lehi and his family. They are being removed uh, from the rest of the Jews, from the house of Israel. They are being preserved and taken to a separate place. So at a later day, when there is a famine among the house of Israel, <clears throat> of course, not a 
literal lack of food, but rather a spiritual famine. The separation of Lehi and his family from uh, the rest of the family of the house of Israel will prove to be their salvation because they have been separated during this time of spiritual famine. Their record, even the Book of Mormon, will be delivered to them and it will be another testimony to them of the Lord's covenants with them, uh, the Lord's covenants with the house of Israel and the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to be able to deliver them. So Lehi sees in the Joseph story a significant parallel between his family and uh, what happened to Joseph and his ability to uh, deliver his loved ones because they have been separated from them for a time. Chapter 6, Nephi gives us a short account uh, telling us why he is making his record. Uh, In verse 3, he tells us that these small plates of Nephi um, are a place in which he desires to write the things of God. And that's important to remember that the small plates here are not the details of a history, but they are scripture. They are a record of the Lord's dealing with a people. And so as we are studying the Book of Mormon, um, especially Nephi's account, we must do so with our spiritual eyes. Certainly there's great people that are out there that are studying the Book of Mormon with secular eyes. They're <clears throat> looking at archaeological, archaeological evidence, at cultural evidence. They're studying uh, the language. They're studying every aspect that they can. They're doing a lot of great work, and that's wonderful, and I'm grateful that they are doing that. Trust me, I find it absolutely fascinating some of the things that they're discovering, and I, and I love to see the correlations coming together between uh, the record in the Book of Mormon and some of the evidences that they're discovering. Not only does it make it, you know, increase my faith in the authenticity of the Book of Mormon, of the Prophet Joseph Smith and his calling, but it also adds greater insights and some greater depth uh, to the Book of Mormon as well. But with that said, let us always remember that the Book of Mormon is not a history book. It is not a, a, a social studies textbook. It is not a study about a culture or a language or even a people. The Book of Mormon, its purpose is a spiritual record. And it must be read if we are going to get its message with our spiritual eyes. Secular review, secular study of the Book of Mormon can be very interesting, but it is the spiritual study of the Book of Mormon and its message of Jesus Christ and deliverance that is most important. And that is what Nephi is teaching us in chapter 6. Um, Then we move to chapter 7, in which Lehi is uh, commanded to send his sons back to Jerusalem again. But this time they're not complaining because this time it is because uh, they're going back to get wives for themselves. Uh, The family of Ishmael has been identified by the Lord as a a worthy candidate to join Lehi and his family in the wilderness. Uh, Certainly, numerically, that appears to make sense and that uh, the number of 
daughters that Ishmael has seems to correlate well with the number of sons that uh, Lehi has. Um, but certainly uh, Ishmael and Lehi um, were uh, not only contemporaries, but under, uh, almost undoubtedly had a very strong relationship. And Lehi uh, must have known that Ishmael could be persuaded that Ishmael was a righteous man um, and that uh, he would know that it was the Lord that had made this calling, that it was the Lord that wanted uh, his family to go with him into the wilderness uh, to inherit their new promised land. Uh, but nonetheless, that still must have been a very difficult conversation for, ne- for Lehi's sons to approach Ishmael and say, hey, why don't you give up everything you have and join my father and our family as we travel in the wilderness to a promised land that we don't know the location of? Must have been, a, again, a very, very difficult um, conversation. But nonetheless, Ishmael is persuaded and the whole family begins to leave. Now, they're not far into their journey before uh, Laman and Lemuel and a few of the sons of Ishmael uh, are at it again, uh, murmuring and complaining, uh, wanting to go back to Jerusalem. Um, And again, we can see some parallels here uh, between the Jews and the wilderness and how many, you know, times was it the Jews that were, while they were wandering in the wilderness, complaining, saying, hey, maybe it was better for us back in Egypt. Maybe we should actually go there and so you'll see Nephi being so educated in the scriptures as he is is able to uh, produce stories um, from their travels that are designed in some ways to remind us of Old Testament stories as Nephi uh, being the educated person he is is constantly seeing parallels between his family and different stories in the Old Testament uh, as well so Uh, They begin to complain, and Nephi, as he uh, likes to do, uh, tries to use his persuasive skills to convince his brothers uh, and others within the company to stop complaining, but to continue on with their journey. Um, And uh, one of the the verses here that Nephi uses to, uh, in his attempt to persuade his brothers, uh, had particular a meaning to me at a point in my life. <clears throat> I was in uh, uh, my the, the, the point of my law school career in which uh, it was time for me to start uh, seeking for employment by interviewing with different law firms. And uh, it's it to me, it seemed like everyone else around me was getting offers for callbacks to go and meet with different law firms and getting offers to uh, begin uh, employment with them. And I wasn't having uh, much success. I wasn't having what seemed, it seemed like I wasn't having any success. And so I was kind of down. I was kind of questioning whether or not this is really the path that I should be taking, whether or not I had made the wise decision, uh, what was going to happen to me, you know, overreacting completely. Uh, But at the time, it felt very real. um, And it felt like a somewhat critical situation. And then I read uh, this verse in chapter 7 verse 12, uh, and it was a beautiful reminder to me at this point in my life. Uh, it really spoke directly to my heart. Verse 12 states, Yea, and how is it that ye have forgotten that the Lord is able to do all things according to his will for the children of men, if it so be that they exercise faith in him? Wherefore, let us be faithful to him. Just these few words within these verses 
really at that time just struck directly to me, especially how is it that ye have forgotten? Now, I think it's so important for us to always remember the things that the Lord has done for us. And usually when we start to murmur, when we start to doubt, when we start to question uh, whether or not the Lord is really uh, is there, whether or not he has our best interest, whether or not he's actually able to deliver on his promises, if we can just remember. And it's usually because we have forgotten the great things that the Lord has done for us that we start to have those feelings of doubt, of uncertainty, questioning uh, the Lord's ability to deliver us. And that was certainly my mistake at that time as I was starting to doubt, as I was starting to have those questions. And I was grateful for Nephi's words, his uh, very pointed as they were, how is it that ye have forgotten that the Lord is able to do all things according to his will? Um, certainly something we should always strive to remember. And those words touched me deeply at that time. Nephi's brothers, on the other hand, were not touched so deeply by his words. Uh, their reaction was to bind him up and desire to leave him in the wilderness for the wild beasts to devour. Uh, now this uh, should remind us of, uh, again, Joseph, as he was the younger brother uh, and his older brothers were kind of sick of uh, his his boastings, what they perceived, and, and the favoritism of, of their father and the things that he was saying to them. So they their initial reaction was, let's tie him up and leave him for the wild beast to devour. Of course, uh, later they came up with a plan to uh, instead sell him um, and tell their father that he'd been devoured by a wild beast. Uh, but certainly very strong parallel between uh, Nephi and Joseph uh, in these two accounts. But uh, because that's what Nephi's brothers do. <clears throat> and then it's interesting to watch uh, Nephi's reaction here. Uh, verses 17 and 18. But it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Yea, even give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. And it came to pass that when I had said these words, behold, the bands were loosed from off my hands and feet, and I stood before my brethren and spake unto them again. So, two possible ways uh, that I'm aware of that we can interpret these. For the first one, I'll turn to uh, Elder Bednar in a talk that he gave titled In the Strength of the Lord before he was called uh, to be an apostle. He gave this talk at uh, BYU. <clears throat> and in this talk, uh, he, he uh, expands his ideas uh, about the enabling power of the atonement. Um, and he used this story as an example of that. Quoting from Elder Bednar, he said, Brothers and sisters, do you know what I likely would have prayed for if I had been tied up by my brothers? My prayer would have included a request for something bad to happen to my brothers and ended with the phrase, Wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Or in other words, please get me out of this mess now. It is especially interesting to me that Nephi did not pray, as I probably would have prayed, to have his circumstances changed. Rather, he prayed for the strength to change his circumstances. And may I suggest that he prayed in this manner precisely because he knew and understood and had experienced the enabling power of the atonement of the Savior. 
I personally do not believe that the bands with which Nephi was bound just magically fell from his hands and wrists. Rather, I suspect that he was blessed with both persistence and personal strength beyond his natural capacity, and he then, in the strength of the Lord, worked and twisted and tugged on the cords and ultimately and literally was enabled to break the bands. Brothers and sisters, the implication of this episode for each of us is quite straightforward. As you and I come to understand and employ the enabling power of the atonement in our personal lives, we will pray and seek for strength to change our circumstances rather than praying for our circumstances to be changed. We will become agents who act rather than objects that are acted upon. So Elder Bednar here teaches that Nephi, the way in which he was delivered, was not through some uh, obvious miracle, but rather Nephi prayed for strength from the Lord, and then the Lord gave him that strength so that he, with the enabling power of the atonement, could escape uh, this uh, situation, this dire situation in which he was in, and that he could be delivered through the combination of uh, the, his own efforts uh, and the strength of the Lord. Now that's one way, and I think that is absolutely a meaningful and beautiful way to understand this story. Um, but it's not the way that I first understood it, and, and, and the way that I first understood it still uh, carries a lot of weight uh, and, and meaning to me. I love how in verse 17... Uh, if you read carefully, Nephi's prayer to the Lord is, O Lord, according to my faith which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Yea, give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. So Nephi's tied up and he says, Lord, give me the strength and I will burst these bands. Give me the strength and I will make it happen. But in verse 18, the Lord's response appears to be a little bit different. And it came to pass that when I had said these words, behold, the bands were loose from off my hands and feet. So I see Nephi here being tied up saying, Lord, give me the strength, make me strong, and I'm going to break these things. And the Lord, with probably with a smile on his face, says, oh, Nephi, it doesn't have to be quite like that. I'll do it for you. And the Lord loosed his bands. Now, the implications for us, I think, with that story are also quite clear. <clears throat> Each of us are bound by different bands, different sins that keep us in bondage, different weaknesses and shortcomings that prevent us <coughs> from escaping the temptations and the trappings of the adversary. We are all in bondage and require deliverance. Now we can pray to the Lord to give us strength that we can overcome those bonds, that we can overcome with our strength our weaknesses and shortcomings. And there's certainly an element of that that has to happen as Elder Bednar teaches. We have to <coughs> struggle and work and strive ourselves to overcome our bondage. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, the way in which we are delivered from our bondage is not because of anything that we do, 
but rather as the account in verse 18 states, it's because the Lord loosens our bonds. It's because he, through his grace, through his mercy, <clears throat> delivers us in ways that we don't necessarily deserve. But he does it because he loves us. He does it because of our relationship with him. And he does it because he wants us to be delivered. And our requirement is not to break the bonds ourselves. But what we must do is call upon the Lord, remaining faithful to him, and demonstrating our desire to keep his commandments. Like Nephi, we have to show that we are willing to do everything that we can to carry out his commandments, to be faithful and to be obedient to him. And it's my testimony that as we do that, the Lord will loosen our bands. The Lord will loosen those things. The Lord will remove those barriers, those obstacles that prevent us from returning to his presence. That is the enabling power of the atonement. That is what makes it possible for us to return to the presence of God. And it is that message of deliverance that is the focus of the Book of Mormon. The message that Jesus Christ has power to save. That Jesus Christ has power to deliver us from all of our enemies, whether they be actual physical captivity, whether it be physical bands, or most importantly, whether it be the spiritual bands that tie us down, that prevent us from reaching our full potential. If we will turn to Christ and exercise faith in him, he has the power to loose those bands. And I testify that he will do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.